You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. Content warnings for this episode may include war, complex and complicated relationships, trauma, pollution, environmental collapse, flirting, romance, references to sexual entanglement, and body horror. Arc 1, Episode 12, To War's Delight, from Self-Eulogy of a Martyr by Connie Chong. Sayer, Lumira, Zainan, and Singh. The four of you stand atop this lavish, deadly Ryan warship face to face with Admiral Sahim Kubra. The air is so rife with tension you could hew through it with a hacksaw. And then the Admiral narrows their six eyes and makes a gesture with three of their four arms. Back to your stations, sailors. And every single Wyatt sailor atop this ship immediately stops talking and disperses. And then the Admiral turns back to your party. Follow me. The Admiral turns sharply on their heel and leads your group across the Broadwood deck, up a ramp, and toward a private room on the elevated aft. They open the door to reveal the Admiral's quarters. Spacious, lavish, impeccably organized, everything is slotted into its proper place. Tablets, scrolls, and books adorn the shelves. A jewel-toned wool rug adorns the floor, and a table made of polished broadwood is bolted to the slats. Admiral Kudra gestures for your party to use the various stools, benches, and hassocks in this space while they sit down on a hard-backed chair behind the desk. As they settle into their seat, they stretch two of their forearms above their head and rest the lower two on the desk before them. Finally, they rest their gaze on your party. The four of you have no doubt made a very powerful queen to the north very angry with what you just told me. We did not wish to cause any strife in the dealings in which you have to make on the day-to-day basis, Admiral. That was not our intention. Yes, yes, your intentions are as soft and righteous as they are obvious. Uh, But that said with a slight quirk of their mouth, like the smallest smile lilting at one corner of their soft yet vicious lip. They reach to the side of their desk and Hugh open a tome. It's an old one by the looks of it, uh, ancient and studded with golden wreaths of leaves on the front of the cover. They pour it open to a familiar page, and they read out without even looking at the words. 
The second guide rose. Rejoice, rejoice. Body rose up in the core of the wild. We are the moving iron root. The clouds shift, we shift. Fear not the sea, but not acknowledging the sea. And people followed body, and body led them to safety. They look at each of you in turn as they read, or rather recite, every line of this poem? Prophecy? Omen. And they close the tome with a nice solid thunk. That is, of course, the second verse in the three guides. You know, when each of the guides led our ancestors to safety, they did so on their own terms. In their own ways, the first guide followed their mind, using their wits and wiles to guide them out of the thrashing leaves. The third guide followed their heart, depending on the magic and temerity of their soul. And the second guide, well, that's us, little dove. And the Admiral looks at Abasi, who had sat down on a hammock of sorts and kind of straightens up at that. We, we are a reach of power, a reach of strength. That is why my king, or at least why I think my king, is giving me these orders. A display of strength to address the calamities wreaking havoc across the Verdant Sea. But power must be wielded responsibly. The Admiral stops, turns three of their six eyes upon you, Sayer. Responsibly. Hmm. Now isn't that the question of the hour? If you'd asked me that question a mere half year ago, I would say, listen to the wise words of the king, Zahar. He would know. But now... And with a great sigh, they lower their two arms from behind their head down to the desk, while their lower arms fold across their muscled chest. No, I'm not so sure. When Lumira hears Sayer's outburst, they only hear the back end and responsibly. And I think before she even realizes it, she like, like scoffs. And under her breath, responsible, that's rich. Sayer glances over to Lumira. You heard that. Admiral Cooper. All six eyes rest on you. I shared that information with you in hopes that secrets don't serve the world. I trust that you will keep it within your own wise opinion. If your king is behaving strangely, perhaps he doesn't have the whole picture. First, you don't have to worry about the sailors aboard the Golden Skywing. They know what will come of them if they spread what you said beyond the borders of this Broadwood. Second, the king has... He has not been himself, and I do not say this lightly. And their eyes flick over to Abasi now, who straightens up out of the hammock. Abasi, your father's gotten worse much worse 
in the couple few weeks since you've been gone. It's undeniable now. There is something... something wrong with him. Something very wrong with him. <sighs> Abasi lets out like a, a sharp exhale, turns her head to the side, working her jaw tightly. I really thought... I thought Mother... I thought Dad would be able to talk him down while I was gone. I didn't think... I didn't think this... war path he's been walking down would actually hold. I... What do we do now, Admiral? Is there no way we can talk him down? You're the one with the ships. You're the one out here giving the orders on the sea. Father's still in the sky. Surely there's something we can do. There's something we must be able to do. You are right, little one. I am the one aboard the Golden Skywing. I am the one giving the orders here. And I am the one who could potentially buy us some time, but there needs to be a concrete reason to do so. Again, Admiral, I can't think of a reason more concrete enough than what it is that lurks outside underneath the Wild Sea. We've watched a trail for miles stretching as far as the horizon, tearing, ripping, shredding and burning all that it comes in contact in in its wake amongst the sea. Leaking oil that covers everything. Forgive me, but I do not think of, I can't think of any other reason outside of this that would be more concrete of a reason to hold off whatever valiant effort the king thinks that he is making at this point in time. I don't want to tell you to do with your warships. You are, that is your spot. I stand here at mine. All I can do is advise you on what it is that I know and what I've seen. Ten fingers tap, one after the other, against the broad wood desk. Hmm. You're talking about that black-branched gulf, aren't you? And the thing that caused it. Our warships could spot that trail half a mile out on the seas. It is a calamity, one of so many now, it seems, in the past couple months. But it is one of particular severity. I've never quite seen an area of the Wild Sea laid to waste like that. There might be something there. I might be able to bend the rules with this gulf before us, but I cannot break them. And we wouldn't ask you to. I can do whatever it is that you ask of me, Admiral. And she just nods. <laughs> you are in the company of the princess. And the four of you, for better and for worse, seem very eager and earnest. Very well. I'll see what I can do here. I can at the very least hold the fleet. Perhaps send out a couple of vanguard ships to investigate the trail. But I can't hold them forever. That's for your party to help with. The Raya is just a couple more miles south of here and in the sky. If you bring back Princess Abasi, talk to the king, get an audience with him, figure out why he's doing this, why he's really doing this, get to the bottom of it and make him see the light, see the error of his ways, then perhaps He'll rescind the order toward war. 
But orders are orders. I cannot duck them for too long. We'll handle that. All we needed was extra time. You get us the time, we can figure the rest out from there. Deal? The Admiral stretches out all four of their hands toward the four of you to shake on it. Lumira clasps both of her hands around one, firmly shaking in agreement. Sayo shakes firmly. Zainan leans forward in the chair that he has settled himself into and offers a gloved hand, but doesn't squeeze firmly, just shakes. Sing brushes past you and shakes the remaining hand, glances at you and then at the Admiral, noticing that moment. But she nods, right, pink eyes, glowing with that eager earnestness that the Admiral had mentioned, and gives a solid nod of her white maned head. The Admiral lets go of your hands, lingering just a half a second longer on Zynan's, but almost not barely long enough for you to notice, but it is there, right? Letting go, and they settle back in their seat. Very well. The night is coming soon and quickly. I suggest the four of you more here for the night before heading out to the Raya the next morning. You'll make good ground. If you uh, don't mind, I'd love to talk to you about the Raya. I'm a little unfamiliar. Of course. <laughs> and it's been many weeks since I've seen my favorite niece. Abasi, I hope you don't mind if I spend a couple of hours aboard. What is that? Is that Storm Chaser? Uh, and Abasi kind of perks up, like stands up from the hammock that she's been on. Uh, yeah, it is. Do you recognize that ship? Not personally, I've just heard stories. Many stories of a copper-sided ship from Siren Song. Anyway, yes. The four of you. <sighs> How serendipitous. How fateful that our paths would cross like this, and that you would hand me the perfect excuse not to continue down this warpath. For that I am grateful. But please, though secrets serve no one in the long run, they will serve us for now. And their eyes land on you, Zainan, all six of them. Keep this agreement between us, yes? Zainan meets the gaze and very solemnly with a similar look of someone bound to their promises, nods. On that nod from you, Zainan, we fade to black on the scene, drawing close to shadow. And when we open back up again, we see the night, the long, dark, cold night folding in upon the wild sea around all of you. A chilly gale rocks the warships anchored around that black-branched gulf, the name that Ryan soldiers are now taking to calling that strip-mined pit which looms before you. Sailors keeping watch atop manticrose nests bundle themselves in thick, fur-lined blankets, nursing hot mugs of coffee and tea to keep awake. Stormchaser is docked among the Ryan fleet. When you concluded your negotiations, let's say, with Admiral Sahim Kubra, the leaves had swallowed the sun, and the twin moons had rose high into the night sky. It didn't take much 
convincing, I think, for all of you to settle down for the night before you are able to rest rejuvenated and bright-eyed for the morning travels toward Raya. We sweep across Storm Chaser now, past the broadwood slats, past the copper wiring, past the sharp metallic prow. And we find Abasi and Admiral Kubra sitting beneath the awning of the med bay, bundled against the cold, their faces lit by the red underglow of a firefly jar. These old friends swap stories late into the night, laughing over inside jokes, sharing a bottle of aged Kreser ale. And I think as the darkness gradually turns to dawn, how are each of you spending the night? Starting with Lumira. Lumira is once again reading through her tome. More specifically, she keeps rereading that little note from Elspeth right on the last page. She knows she needs to get more and she will need to contact Elspeth at some point in this trip. But in the meantime, I think she's going over it and rewriting the most significant passages that stick out to her in her own book that she keeps uh, strapped to her hip. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of almost like Dr. Scratch scribble across the page uh, consistently. And every now and then she pulls her attention from the book to the little fidget spinner or what have you that Sayer gave her previously. And it's just sitting at the edge of the table, like taunting her, it feels like. And she just kind of brushes it off the side of the table, hits the ground with a clack, and rolls off over to the corner of the ship right as the docking of the ship hits a particularly heavy rock that pushes it off over into the corner. She doesn't get up to pick it up. She just leaves it there, goes directly back to her book. Mm, yeah. Starting Ooh. again at page one. The fidget spinner spins by its lonesome in a corner, hitting the uh, broadwood slats until it comes to a complete halt. And you continue with your kind of like very messy doctor-like scrawl across your journal, copying bits of the passages that stick out to you. And for all the redacted parts, which were very frustrating, especially the first time you read it, I think now that you had time to leaf through it, you're also getting that this is a lot of information. This is actually a lot, just like, just enough that damned Elspeth, just enough of like a taste for you to desperately want more. Your eyes continue to flit to that note from Elspeth. And I think, maybe even sensing? You're not sure why or how, but maybe there's like an ability for this thing to sense, maybe a subconscious desire. The oracle into existence in the air next to you, a swirl of lights, sound, and color. Oh, hello, Lumira. Lumira kind of brightens up. She loves that damn oracle so much. It's so cute. So like when it pops up, uh, her mood immediately brightens. She's just like, Oracle. Oh, hello, Lumira. I could sense that you maybe wanted to talk to someone. It's okay if you don't want to talk to them right now, but do you want me to put in a reminder for you to talk to Isopus at some point? Very soon, actually. Yes, I would. Okay, I'll remind you. Thank you, darling. The Oracle doesn't go. 
it continues for I, I reach second. over, yep. I reach into like my pocket and drop a couple little like metal ball bearing snackies <laughs> in the middle of it. Oh, thank you for the gratuity. Uh, and the oracle vanishes. It literally did the thing where it like held out the iPad and was like, please tip me. <laughs> Beautiful, yes. On the fshing of the oracle, we cut over to Sayer. How are you spending the night? I think there was a point in the early evening once Lumira had definitely retreated back to her quarters where the heavy thumps of his footsteps lead him to that door. And he raises a hand as if to knock, but then hears the sound of the swoosh of the oracle from inside. Sayer puts his hand down. What would this achieve? And then he will storm off back to his own room, close the door shut, sit at the center of this room and begin journaling and do deep breathing exercises. Every action casts shadow, every action. What's the shadow? What's the shadow? I don't understand it. Deep breathing exercises are not fucking working. And his mind just keeps peering back to that voice in his mind about peering into the oil that he's a little omen and he just sits in on himself and tries again with great futility to do this deep breathing exercise to calm himself. It's like staring into a imagined pool of oil in front of him and backing away from it. You're calling upon the image of oil in your head? Yeah. As you breathe deeply and summon up a vision of oil, just a pool of it, a circle of it, an inverted moon of it in front of you, you envision yourself backing away from it, breathing deeply, and you can almost smell it, that greasy, iridescent, rainbow slick, wrong, wrong smell bubbling in your nose, bubbling. That's right, the surface of this oil pool is bubbling. It is bubbling and smoke is rising and you see a kind of greasy flame begin to lick up on the surface of this oil, but it's not blue like your fire sayer. It is not cerulean. It is a deep, deep vermilion blood red crimson red flame beginning to lick up. Play with fire. You will get burned. I'm not afraid of you. Then you are a fool. A pillar of flame erupts upward from this pool of oil. Your eyes snap open in real life, I think. Uh, your heart, despite yourself, beating in a way that your mind cannot fathom. And you're back in your room. Everything seems normal, right? Everything is normal. There's the bed right there. There's the desk. There's your journal open wide, but there's something on your journal. Your hand with the pencil on it had written something unconsciously while you were doing your breathing exercises. The words repeating over and over across the page, scribbling over your original entry just over and over and over again, almost rendering the white pages black. Oil, ash, 
fire, oil, ash, fire, oil, ash, fire, over and over and over again. Sayer slams the journal shut and backs the hell away. I don't think he sleeps well that night. As you try to tuck yourself to sleep, I don't know if you see this air, but we do. Putting the journal away, like trying to shake it off, but still quivering in yourself, right? We see your shadow follow you maybe a half step behind, but as you're tucking yourself in bed, we see the shadow on the wall next to the bed, and it doesn't lie down next to you in perfect synchronicity. It takes a beat, and it reaches out a hand toward you. And it tries to like, almost like it wants to rest it on your back, on your shoulder. Like it wants to comfort you, but it's just a shadow, how could it? And as you lay down, the shadow also lies down half a beat, but then synchronizing fully with the rise and fall of your chest. Zynan, how are you spending the night? Zynan has spent uh, quite a bit of time, maybe not directly um, with the Admiral and Abbasi, but keeping an ear, uh, looking for when they are done getting reacquainted and probably uh, done with a tour of the the ship. I think you're up above deck, looking around right at Storm Chaser, glancing casually over to Abbasi and the Admiral. And at some point you do see Abbasi rise, you know, take a final swig of that Kreser ale, put it down and they seem to be saying goodbye. They're like hugging, right? And then they like nod and Abbasi turns and kind of goes below deck without seeing you on Storm Chaser. She kind of goes below deck to finish out her night, which leaves just the Admiral above deck uh, under the awning of the med bay for a half second. And then they pick themselves up off of a stool, right? Uh, their golden gorget glimmering in the light of the twin moons above head. They step out from underneath the awning and approach uh, the starboard railing. They prop the elbows of their lower arms onto the railing while one of their upper arms reaches, I think, into this billowing half cape that they have. And they kind of pull out a hand rolled cigarette. And with their other upper arm, they light it and they begin to smoke. As the smoke begins to drift, Zynan lets them have a moment, but they would probably hear the thud, thud, thud of a very steady pace of hard-soled boots walking across the deck of the ship towards them. As Zynan approaches to beautiful view, don't you think? Hmm. I was wondering when you'd come up here. I was, uh, didn't want to intervene in what was clearly an important reunion. (laughs) I appreciate that. Ever the gentleman, aren't you? Not everyone would say that, but I appreciate it. I would have been worried too. Abasi is quite wonderful. The princess, excuse me. The princess is quite wonderful. I've known her ever since she was a baby. (laughs) Always so tenacious. She's grown up into a fine young woman. Not me, though. I've always been a scumbag. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. About me. The Admiral turns their head to look at you, all six eyes glinting in the moonlight. They hold out the cigarette for you to... Uh, bum a smoke if you would like. Zynan smiles and accepts. Haven't done this in a while. 
It takes a nice long drag before handing it back, but he's definitely smoked before. Yeah, the Admiral waves two of their hands, like like you keep the cigarette, and they pull out a new one, right? But as they lift it to their lips, they lean in to you, so you can use the butt of your cigarette to light their new one. Without even missing a beat on this, Zainan, just very carefully keeping enough space so that they don't actually touch, he just adds a little heat between the two cigarettes. The butt of their cigarette also starts to light and smoke, and I think they like kind of turn their jaw to get the perfect angle, and you can kind of see like the vein of their neck flashing under their skin. You can also see just a little peak of ivory sharpened fang peeking behind their lips. They pull away and they regard you with all six eyes. It's so intense. It's intense even to have two eyes looking at you. Six, it's almost overwhelming. They kind of chew the cigarette between their teeth, twisting it from one side of their mouth to the other. It is a beautiful view tonight. The duty that keeps you so busy. Sometimes it's nice to just share a smoke, enjoy the view, don't you think? <laughs> you asked me about Raya, curious about my home. Do you know how Ryan Sky Warriors stay warm on cold nights? <laughs> I have a guess, but it's not the most uh, studied guess. Would you like to find out? It is getting a little cold, don't you think? And Sahim's mouth flashes a full smile, showing those sharpened teeth. The morning comes much too fast, and not fast enough all at once. The nightmare doesn't come knocking again, and your sleep is dreamless, an empty dark left in its wake, like ash. The twin moons vanish, replaced by a single blazing hot sun that seems determined to roast away even the barest memory of cold. Heat pounds down from a cloudless sky, forcing jackets off shoulders and sweat out onto skin. The northern swell is awash with activity as Ryan sailors wake, tend to their stations, shovel down breakfast, rouse their ships. Storm Chaser, too, bustles with movement as Abasi, ever the early riser, starts flipping switches and turning knobs at the helm. The dull hum of the runners starts buzzing in the atmosphere, rousing even the sleepiest among you from your dreams. Zainan. Storm Chaser awakens around. You hear footsteps pounding down hallways, leaves rustling against the hull, voices barking muffled words. As you rise from a tangle of blankets and pillows, you see Saham Kubra, fully dressed, pulling on the last of their four gloves at the foot of your bed. What do you do? Zainan straightens up, runs a hand over his face, Takes in a very deep breath, kind of just enjoying the view, and then starts to do the same. Got to put everything back together. Duty first. Have the streaks you paint on every day faded overnight? Yes, absolutely. Sahim turns as they sense movement, as you start to pull on your own clothes, get ready for the day, and their eyes trail over your face. Hmm. 
You look different and the same without those painted on. I thought they were tattoos. No. Just a little piece of home. Piece of home? Where's home for you? Eh, uh, spit that's gone now. Ah, as spits are wont to do. Rise one day from the depths of the sink, down the next into the drown. That's how it is. I'm spitborn myself, so I know the feeling. Never gets easier, but the sea is beautiful. Saw him rises, the springs of the mattress kind of creaking as they do, and they turn to face you fully. Their arms hanging loose by their side and the other pair crossed in front of their chest as they regard you, right? That gore gets still so polished, still so bright and divine, even in the bask of the morning after. You know why I like you? Can't imagine. It's my endless charm. <laughs> well, your endless charm is one of them. It's because you're my type, Zaiden. And what is that? Well, emotionally unavailable. Repressed. I'll take the success of being your type for uh, the rest of that. <laughs> I should get back to my ship. But, uh, mm, one final unsolicited piece of advice from me to you. I know what it's like to carry uh, shadows in myself I can't put down. But just know that those feelings, they come out in different ways, yeah? You see, my outlet is wild sailing. It is violence. It is the open leaves. What's yours? You already met them. Mm. Careful, Zainan. Put too much hope in a person. It's devastating when you lose them. When they say that, Zainan's face hardens for just a tiny flicker. And he can see it out of the corner of his eye in the mirror. And he shifts, pulling on another layer as he does. Best to just live in the moment, isn't it? Treasure what you have. <laughs> and as they laugh, you see those bright, sharp fangs that you became very well acquainted with last night. And then they lower their jaw and look at you. And then two of their eyes flit down to your neck. Hmm. Nice lasting memento from me to you. See you around, Zai. And they turn and they leave. And in the mirror in their wake, you see a bright, turning purple hickey. Above deck, the sun is shining. The sky wings are singing. And the wind is cheerfully blowing. The cloudless sky is blue and it is endless. The sun is a single blazing star in the midst of a cerulean expanse. With your party's combined efforts and Abasi at the helm, Storm Chaser manages to undock from the edge of Black Branch Gulf and begin heading south. Within just a few minutes, the entire fleet of Ryan warships is but a memory at your backs, toy-sized silhouettes against a leafy green horizon. The Raya is, of course, a floating kingdom in the sky, and as such, it moves. According to Admiral Kubra, the Raya has been floating north at a slow but consistent pace for the past few weeks, which means it will take your party less time to reach the Raya than it presumably would have taken Princess Amergen. Abasi's navigational calculations place the arrival time at two days. 
And now, the Wild Sea RPG has special rules for montages, which are called tasks. Each player can make an action role for a task to either explore the setting around you, acquire resources, recover, or create something. You can also just tell me how you spend your time without a specific task, and I might just ask for a role to see what happens based on what you say. Just remember, one of the only ways to clear a track is to use the recover task. So with all of that in mind, I want to know how each of you are spending these two days aboard Storm Chasers, starting with Sayer. Sayer's pretty beat up, uh, and the heat on the travel towards Raya did not help. He mostly did that shirtless because the heat is too much between the burns and the oil, ash, and flame reminders. He's burning up. And the wounds that he has been sustaining consistently have deeply troubled him. So I think what he has been doing is minimizing exploration during this time period and is focusing on recovering his full strength. And I think he does that with by checking through his resource pack that he has failed to do up to this point when you get zapped into a new realm as a trans agent. And he notices that he has a little ceramic little doodad. And when he touches the tip of it, he feels that hum of electricity. Ah, maybe that'll help. And so Seir has will use his ceramic battery to recharge every few days so that he can recover. Ooh. Okay, yeah, make me a recover roll. This is an action roll. So what edge are you bringing in here? Ooh. Is it sharps because you're using something smartly or go ahead? I was thinking because this is tapping into his instinct, his deep power. I would ask for a, a instinct, uh, please. Okay, what skill are you pulling on? <laughs> uh, would a... Oh, none of these are really helpful, are they? Uh, <laughs> uh, would a sense or a delve work? I th don't think delve works quite as well. Sense. I'll give you sense. So roll instinct and sense plus one advantage from the ceramic battery. Fantastic. Okay, so that is a five, a six, and a one. So six total. That is a triumph. So you get to heal two marks of an aspect, ship rating, injury, track, or buyer. So just pick the two that you have marked and just erase them. Uh, yeah, as you kind of with the ceramic battery and you feel it jolt into you and kind of like reinvigorate you, lift some of the exhaustion. I think that's been just pulling in your mind space from these past, oh my God, it's two days since you've been here in the wild sea. Yeah, it, it's like a nice shot of adrenaline. Ah, <sighs> that's better. And I think you see the electricity course through his skin and they temper the edges of the burns that he has gotten and smooth them over back to deep brown, the color of his skin. Mm, yeah, I like that a lot. So after I think you're able to recover by like rifling through your resource pack a bit, what else do you do on the ship? Like, what do we find you doing? Are you interacting with any of the other members of Strike Team Nova or a bossy here, mostly keeping to yourself? looking out over the expanse of leaves. Other than shooting the shit with a bossy, Sayer has mostly kept to himself. The images, the visions have really troubled him. 
So he, when he is not shooting the shit with Abasi or doing onboard tasks, he is back in his room and he trains. He pours his mind into something productive, which is at this point, probably a a more complex form of a push-up only using one of his arms so that he could just focus his mind's eye on balance and maintaining that balance and breathing through it. He may have been out of commission, but he'll get back to top form. And that's his... That's why he has to be, to be ready for the Raya. Mm, we find you in your room. Are you shirtless? I just want to know. Oh, of course. Okay. I'm in my we room. Find you no, in your room. No one needs to know. <laughs> private. Private in your room. Shirtless, one-arm push-ups, right? I think sweat is beating on your brow. This is like rep number 100-something. You lost count after 110. You're still going, right? Pumping up, down, up, down. And then you notice from the corner of your eye, your shadow slanted on the floor next to you, doing the push-ups alongside you, but then it just stops going down. When you go down, it just stops moving. It's like propped there with one arm. Enough of this. Enough of this shadow bullshit. Uh, Sayer notices that, slows his rise, and checks from the corner of his eye, and the shadow is still not moving, right? Correct. It has now cocked its head and seems to be looking at you. I'm going to sweet kick it. I'm going to immediately change because I'm not doing that. Whatever that thing is doing, I am not (laughs) doing. So I'm going to sweet kick it. And if I find an opportunity, pin it down. Okay. As you sweep your leg out, Sure enough, it connects. It does not go through with the shadow. It connects to the side of the shade. Uh, and I think you're able to catch it kind of off guard. It flips onto its back and you're immediately on top of it, right? And this shadow has peeled itself through the act of you sweeping it, peeled itself off the floor. And it's just like a cutout silhouette version of you that you're grappling with. Sayer pins his own shadow's arms, I guess, strangely enough. And he's going to lean down and say, What are you? You're not me, that's for sure. What do I notice about the shadow? Do I notice anything? Is it doing weird, sifty things? What are we doing? What's happening? (laughs) Well, it doesn't have a face. It's just a silhouette. You've pinned your own shadow arms behind its back. You've uh, pinned him to the ground. And the voice that comes out to address you is not yours. It is familiar, though. It's ringing a bell, and as it continues to talk, uh, the bell aligns with a face. As Yihu says, It's me! I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... I know this was maybe a little wrong of me to just... uh, It's me! It's me! I mean no harm! Sayer, as soon as he hears Yinghe's voice, pulls his hands away and then pushes him off, uh, uh, off of him, and holds his arm up. I, huh? I, I'm so sorry. I wait. No, how? And I think he looks back at Yinghe's face. Can I see her eyes? 
As you push away, like your shadow kind of painfully <laughs> pushes himself up. Your shadow possessed by Yinghe, I suppose. I'm just gonna say Yinghe. Yinghe pushes himself up off of the ground, cross-legged in your own form. And then he raises his head and you see those eyes open. Just the eyes in that like black expanse of your face. Those silver moonlit eyes. Yes, it's, it's me. I'm sorry, I, I didn't really know how to start talking to you, and then, you know, a lot of stuff happened, and I thought maybe now was a good time, because you were alone and by yourself, and you didn't look super mad like you have been for the past. I just, hi. Sayer interrupts that whole explanation that Yingha gives by closing in and just staring at Yingha's eyes. Yingha leans in and stares back. Hello. Sorry, I I didn't think I'd ever see your eyes again. Oh. <clears throat> I how how are you doing this? Th this this should not be po possible. How Wait, you've been watching? Wait. Uh Oh, oh. Um that uh this is really hard to explain. Uh what what have you noticed? Um, I, I, I've seen basically everything since you came to the Wild Sea. There, I was trying mm, to You're not even supposed to you. know that. Uh, okay. I, I, I won't tell anyone. Well, there's really no one to tell about anything. I, the, the villagers, they, they don't ostracize me anymore, but they're still scared of me, I think. And I'm trying to get their trust, but I've never had a friend before, and I thought maybe we could be friends, and I tried looking earlier, sooner. As soon as you left, I tried looking through your shadow, but I couldn't. Uh, but I, I just couldn't. I've never not been able to do that before, even when people have gone to other places outside of my world. Uh, but, you know, uh, finally I was able to see. I tried every day, and then, and then I saw you. Uh, color drains from Sayer's face for a moment as he realizes the depth of quandary that he is in right now on a trans standpoint. <laughs> Gingha is not supposed to know about anything, any one of this, but clearly the cat is out of the bag now. And I think he just starts muttering to himself, almost ignoring Gingha, being like, oh, this is, this is, uh... I I need to tell somebody. No, I no. But if I if I tell Zainan or Lumira or Singh, then I can't talk to you anymore. I, I, I'm and sorry. I I I didn't want to get you in trouble. I just I just wanted to check in on you because I I thought I was really grateful to you for helping me, and I thought maybe we could be we could be friends because I've never had a friend before. I like talking to you, even briefly. I, I was really sad when you left, and I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And and I'm not going to tell anyone about anything I've seen. Again, there's really no one to tell, except for the bats in the temple, who are great, but they can't really carry a conversation. And I... I... I just wanted to make sure you were okay. I... I'm okay. I... I was really sad, too, when we left. I... never... M met anyone like me. Me neither. I mean, I know you're chosen and and everything, but I people are afraid of me too. Still are afraid of me. I've seen. Um, I I saw. I've been seeing. I I I saw what happened with you and Lumira. Oh, you saw that, did you? Yeah. 
but I, I, I don't think any less of you. I've been there before. I've lashed out. You know, I puppeted your shadows. It was, you know, not really intentionally. Try to kill you. I know what what it's like to have a lot of power and not really know how to control it. And I can control it better now because I understand myself better now because my God has given me a second chance. And I, I want to be there for you like you were for me. I want to be there for you. Sayer has never felt this way before. His chest opens up a bit more and he kind of closes the distance between himself and Yingha and it just says well the cat's out of the bag now I I would like to keep talking if but like you said <laughs> uh, you already know a lot but I'm it's gonna be a couple of ground rules okay yes yes of course you're gonna ask me questions and some I can't answer and some I, I cannot don't I don't want to lie to you so if I don't answer don't make me okay i can do that i've never really had a friend before not one that understands anyways i um i'll be honored to be your first so tell me everything tell me your darkest feelings your deepest thoughts everything that you're allowed to tell me i'm here to listen so this is really really fucked up dragon and i think (laughs) on that we cut to lumira Lumira, how do you pass the time on Storm Chaser? It's been a few days. So I think at first, Lumira very much holds herself up in her room, kind of only coming out to be seen when there's actually like tasks that need to be done or if she's summoned in any way, shape or form. I think right now though, she is in her room like, stripped down from her uniform. I think she just has like some pajamas or something like that on. And she's pulling off this wrap that's around her head. And all of her hair kind of falls out of the head wrap itself. And all of her hair is like twisted up or braided. And she goes through kind of like mindlessly while still going through this book again. And she's untwisting her hair just on like just mindlessly. She's done it so much at this point in time that it doesn't require much effort or forethought. She doesn't really have to even look at it as she's untwisting at all. But there are some twists that stay there. And it's not for Like it's never on purpose. It's just because it's so many braids that she gets some lost in translation while she's taking them out. So that's why some strands of her hair is still like consistently braided. Cause she always forgets a few that just kind of frame her face as she's taking it out. And once she finally like kind of gets dressed for the day, she closes her book and decides that she wants to go to the engine. She wants to go down and take a look at it, even if she's not tinkering with it. Just, there's too many things that are not adding up right now. And she needs some type of logical distraction. Sure, you go below deck, down the twisting maze of hallways and corridors until you land at the mouth of a hallway, at the end of which rests the 
double sealed and bolted door to the engine room. This is a special reinforced door that Queen Mylesia had talked about when she first saw you off at harbor. And she described the key to it being in the captain's quarters above deck. And you kind of see like a keyhole, but it's like a hole for a massive key, like one that you'd have to use two hands to handle, slot inside and then turn. And there's kind of wheels on it, like wheels on a bank vault, to sort of like turn it open and like cast it open. So yeah, this thing is reinforced. At the mouth of this hallway, looking down the corridor at it, Everything else down here is so quiet. You're like very muffled and apart, uh, as apart as you can be on Storm Chaser from the rest of your party. The only thing you hear is the like gentle humming and sizzling and crackling of voltaic runners just beyond the exile's copper that comprises the hull. And of course, if you listen closely, I'm going to run up the deck to the captain's quarters to get that key. <laughs> okay. Are, you're Full trying sprint. to, yep. Okay, are you trying to hide this from the rest of the party, the rest of everyone else? I'd like to think that she's off over in a section where there's like nobody else at and she's going like up the opposite way. She is trying to hide from everyone, but. Okay. I'll have you make a roll to see how successful you are in hiding the fact that you're like up in a massive key. So the edge is either gonna be veils for shadows, right? Shadow cipher secrecy, or sell me an edge. Iron? You know what? Sure, force, determination, willpower. You're huffing it, huffing it through Storm Chaser and just going in, going out, right? Uh, what skill are you using to steal the key without notice? Can I make a suggestion for rattle since it has to do with mending and maintenance? Okay, sure. To like be able to pick the key. You know what? I'll give it to you, but you I'm going to cut tell me one. No, Connie. no, I'll take it. I'll give it to you, but I'm going to cut one. I'm going to cut okay. one for like, there's a lot of people on this ship. And fair enough. Okay. Fair so enough. Open. Fair enough. Oh, double fours. So not good, but doubles. So, okay, we'll that is it. a conflict with a twist. I think the conflict is someone sees you. I'm not gonna say who, someone does see you. I don't think you notice them seeing you though, right? And they don't stop you, right? Whoever they are, okay? Uh, you grab the key from the captain's quarters. It's big, you need like two hands to hold it really. It's kind of heavy and like thick. And you like hoof it back down, back through this maze of corridors until you're right in front of that door. The twist is, I don't think you need the key to open the door anymore after this moment. As you slot the key into the keyhole and you turn it, there's like a jolt of almost like whatever voltaic energy powers Storm Chaser has now like leapt up the length of the key and jolted up through your nervous system. There's some kind of like connection now forged between you and the engine. You turn it, you turn the wheel, and the door swings open. Before you is quite a simple chamber, square-shaped with some copper wiring running all the way to the back, hooked up to a beating, massive heart. It's made of flesh. It's pulsing. There are veins, ventricles, arteries, and like the copper is literally connected to it. And then you realize the copper is growing 
out of it. The copper is essentially the equivalent to blood vessels coming out of this heart. And the heart isn't completely just made of flesh, it sparks with electric energy with every pulse. There's something voltaic about it. I fucking knew it. I knew it. I knew it was a heart in here. And she is taking everything in. I think like she spends a long time scanning over every single inch of this that she can see. Almost like if you're looking at her, you can tell she's committing every bit of this to memory so that she can actively and correctly convey this information later once uh, she gets back with her team as she sees fit. But part of her wants to get closer to it. And I think she walks in a bit further, almost feeling drawn to it, watching it beat and seeing the electricity that's kind of running off of it. And I think right as she gets up to, or like a little bit closer to it, like right up to it, a step or two away. And she gets ready to reach out before she realizes what exactly it is she's doing. She needs a bit more information. And she kind of just has to remind herself, like, be smart about this, Lumira. And will back herself off before closing the door and locking it behind her. As soon as he had stepped into the chamber, right? Like, I, I imagine you even like raised your hand up and then like drew it back at the last moment. Every step forward you took toward the heart, electricity prickles on your skin, right? You can feel the hair on the nape of your neck rise up, like bristle up. You can feel your own heart. Like it kind of beats twice arrhythmically and then you realize what's happening. It's sinking to the heartbeat of this massive, massive organ in front of you. Like beating along to it. Whatever this thing is, it exudes an incredible presence, a great force. Like it has an aura about it that is so powerful. Even though it's not its whole body anymore? You perfect cleric, perfect medic of trans, look at this thing and you know this was taken from a body. It wasn't grown from a seed or anything like that. This heart was taken from something, someone. But the way it beats isn't in anger. It doesn't beat in rage. It just beats. It beats in, well, I'll give it to you, Lumira, as you retreat to the back of the door and right before you close it, I will give you what it beats with if you let a little bit of it in. Or you can choose to close the door and pry open the mystery another day. Let it in? Are you kidding me? <laughs> what does it look like as you let it in? I think much like other bits and pieces of Lumira's unbrittled, uncontrolled magic to an extent. It almost is, I think in tandem with the beating of the heart, time around her starts to slow. 
and it slows down with each beat of the heart until it stops around her and she finds herself frozen in time before it just, I think, almost hits her directly in the middle of her chest and knocks her off balance for a second. And as she kind of shakes her head coming to, everything speeds back up to normal time again. I love that. As you're knocked back, you are knocked back with the force of an emotion that does not belong to you. This emotion belongs to the heart. You know it to be true. This emotion belongs to the heart. As you're flung back and the door, I think, closes, as you fall onto the ground, you're knocked back with the force of its love. It loves Lumira. It loves so much. It loves her. Mylesia. It loves Queen Mylesia so much. It beats with gratitude. It beats with love for her. It beats with a desire to protect her, to protect her. It beats with a sliver of guilt to make wrongs right, to bring the green back, to birth the verdancy once more. And it beats with fear fear of what is to come, fear of a smoke that once came and now comes again. I scramble back up and I make a beeline straight for Zynan. Zynan, how are you passing the time on Storm Chaser? Uh, <laughs> well, after we depart the uh, fleet, Zynan keeps hearing the caution from Admiral Kubra. And he thinks about all of the times that he has put all of the distraction into people and remembers that the mission is really the distraction. So in the day of travel, during the day, he continues to be the lookout, uh, but also makes a point to try and care for himself a little bit. The person he always forgets and is going to try and recover from some of the damage that he has sustained on this adventure before uh, in an attempt to steal himself for the conversation that he is going to have in the evening when he reaches out back to trans. Sure. So tell me the edge, tell me the skills you try to recover gonna try and recover tough as nails a aspect deeply ingrained in the dust and the heartache of who he has been and trying to recover it by spending time and maybe watching out for Nova and Abasi as much as possible um, so my my pitch is teeth mm -hmm. that natural instinct and sense, just seeing them recovering that way. I'll give it to you. Make that roll. <laughs> well, it's a it's a four with a twist. Okay, that's a conflict. So you heal one mark. So you get to like scratch one mark off. The twist, the twist I'll give to you in a second. This evening, 
I assume you hole up in your room, right, as you try to reach back out back to trans. The oracle swirls into existence, I think, right above you in just this iridescent orb of sight and sound and light. Uh, and you hear the oracle say, Oh, yes, Lumira, did you want to call Elspeth? Oh, sorry, you're not Lumira. No, I'm not Lumira. That's the twist. The oracle accidentally let that slip. Uh, oh, wh whoopsie. Uh, don't tell Lumira I said that, okay? I will keep that to myself. Okay, lovely. I would actually like to reach out to Hand Artemis and oh, touch base. Yes, of course. Hand Artemis ringing now. Agent Zynan. I was wondering when you were going to show up. Huh. It's, uh... It's been a minute. We've been a bit busy. Artemis, in the Oracle's holographic screen looks at you with a kind of reality that is jarring for somebody who's made only of pixels. She's still just as intense as you left her, sitting at her desk, almost as though she has not moved from the place where they gave you that reprimand right before you left. Like they're picking it right back up with no hesitation. Artemis nods, seems to look over you through the holograph through the oracle. Part of her eyebrow narrows, comes down. You look tired. Mayday missions are much more complicated, as I'm sure you are aware. So I've heard all of the debrief paperwork that I've had to fill out these last few days has been enlightening as to the kind of missions that we agents of trans now find ourselves undertaking. Tell me more, agent. The Wild Sea is being plagued again by calamity. The Wild Sea lives to begin with. It is... <laughs> I promise I am not having a laugh when I say it is green. They call it the Verdancy. The RSA's readout did list it as green. Green. Mm. The whole planet is awash with trees taller than I have maybe ever seen. But that's in danger. I, and he hesitates. But the hesitation is one that's just for his sake. He doesn't ever pretend that Artemis can't see straight through him. And all of the bare honesty in that comes rushing back. I thought only the twins were capable of seeing such things, but we've had a vision. A vision? Yeah. At that, Artemis's face grows still. Stiller even in the reflection, the pixels don't even waver. She's looking at you now. All of you had a vision. And someone native to this plane. Tell me about your vision. And he starts at the beginning of his and talks about seeing Kiseki, Lodestar, studying Azalis into the dust and walks through all of it, not missing a detail, and explains then also the dragon and Sing and this princess Abasi 
that we've been traveling with seem to share some connection in that vision that I still don't understand. Artemis doesn't flinch. She doesn't flinch an inch away. Not from anything. Not from the description of Kaseki. Not from Azalis. Not from any detail that you bring forward. Not even from the dragon. Her eyes are tight, gold, like they don't belong to her face. But she looks at you still, taking all of it in, and she is listening. She is listening. She turns a few words over in her mouth before she decides to speak them. I see. Fate chooses in her different realities, many. Fate is her. Herself, even in the wild sea, so it seems. Whoever this person is, it is by her will that you have come together. She will be important to whatever plan fate has for this place, has for all of you. Sometimes these plans require you go deeper beneath the surface. You described to me the dream, yes. The images. What did they do, though? Where did they come from? I'm not sure, but whatever it is has perhaps found a root in our omen speaker. Ah. Sayer. Yeah. Leave him to me, Agent. Yes, sir. Until then, keep an eye on all of your teammates. Strike Team Nova needs your guidance, Zainan. All of the Syndicate does. You know I will. And until then, take some solace in knowing that this is fate's will. This is a different path. It's not just the memory of the place you were before. It's the hand outstretched. You understand? You know, I'm always working on that part. When you feel it, Zainan, and you will, because now you walk in the place that I did, When you feel it, extend your hand, reach out, and you might just find yourself with one of the finest agents of trans the Syndicate has ever seen. We'll report again soon, thank you. Is there anything else? And something knits at her brow. She immediately loses whatever thread that she was on before. This mountain pivots to something else. The Oracle's RSA coming back, the daily feed from your mission. She pauses. What, what, is there something wrong? And he looks through the the light kind of at the point where the seed pod was before the call began. Usually we get a daily reading of between 1.8 to 1.16. Your daily readout has been in the hundreds. Oh. Have you tried turning the oracle off and turning it back on again? It may be a maintenance issue. I will take more active care of the oracle. Good. Uh, That was an an oversight on my part. Understood. I need to get back to my... And before the oracle can even go blank, she's gone. Huh. And he stands there feeling like he's been shot through. Again, the vulnerable spot that he can't ever seem to cover with Artemis and can't help but think about the outstretched hand and a vision 
of that from the past. The oracle lingers in the air in front of you, returning from that blank screen that Artemis left to that swirling orb of colors, that sphere of sound, and it glows with every word it says as it addresses you. Oh, yikes, Sizen. No, of all the members of Strike Team Nova, you have the roughest outgoing cause. I'm sorry. That's all right, Oracle. I uh, live in the house I made. You know what? Have a tweet. And out from the, like, center of the oracle floats one of Lumira's ball bearings toward you. Oh, oh thanks. You, uh, you shouldn't have. You know what? I'm going to save this because uh, you and I, we have to do some, uh, we have to have some quality time. I promise I will also, I will also play chess with you if you let me. Yes. Get ready to have your butt kicked. Already done. Uh, Lumira, you had rushed out of the engine room to find Zynan, and we find you now, outside of Zynan's room, having heard every single word of that call. On the dawn of the second day, your party sees it. All of you see it. It's impossible to miss. Brimming on the horizon, marvelous and divine, is the floating kingdom of the Raya. Are you a proud transplanard? Do you want everyone to know you're an Andake University alum? Do you want to wear our logo but super goth and full of Void? Then check out our brand new merch collab with Void Merch and nab one of three exclusive designs. Check out the link in the episode description and go trans your gender with our fresh new threads. This episode was edited by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to Charles, Cora Eckert, Brooke Bright, River, Chiacres, Lex Slater, Scrofasis, Hat, Alex, Mark J, Lyle and Peanut, Spencer, Brooke in Seattle, Aria, Derek Davidson, Phil, Jordan, Cassidy, and Rose. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!